Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, Achtung, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. And uh, how are you, Jim? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm feeling a bit, bit windswept, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, yeah, you're in the eye, of, well, you're not the eye of the storm, the eye of the storm's quite a bit, isn't it? Did it come through Wiltshire? Yeah, it did, and it, and, and it blew, blew an absolute hoolie, and there's loads of trees down, and all the rest of it. I mean, we were very lucky we didn't get any electricity off or anything like that, so that's all good. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's mainly the poor old ash trees that have come down, you know, they're all covered with um ash uh, now no. so uh, yeah so that that's really yeah. bad but on the other hand on the bright side i've got my first cricket net this morning so i'm, I'm very excited about that <laughs> get back into well, the swing in, of things in, you're in france i'm aren't in you? france yes yeah, so if the regular listener notices a slight difference in the in the timbre of my recording at this end um yeah i'm in france home of the Aztec toad although he doesn't come out in february i don't think does he not okay uh, it's a bit too chilly no it's, it's a not bit the too chilly season. although actually it's exactly. It's clear blue skies here and everything. It's really rather lovely. Um, we we we've got lucky in the Pyrenees <laughs> in the distance and all that sort of stuff. Well, I'm very happy for you. And um, and you haven't been doing any um, um, escape across the Pyrenees trails or anything like that when you've been over there. No, 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 not One on this day. occasion. No, no. We're well, basically, we're well, having the Halifax, house renovated. There is the Halifax. This the, the Halifax that that was um, oh gosh, was doing you know was dropping stuff for the Mackie. Um, which is what, why it was around here in the, this part of the world in the first place. Yeah. Um, and it's the, the, there's not an official CWGC grave for them. It's a, it's a local memorial that the wow. that the, um, the locals put in, uh, and there's there's wreckage still up in the hill. So you get you oh, you sort of you come it. you park park up in the right place, and then you walk up and you and it's sort of a mile and a half up the hill, and then and then there it is, and there's you know there's ammunition casings and all that sort of stuff. How amazing. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, all the crew were killed. And then the village, the villagers, you know, knew it was there and went and checked on it and all that sort of thing. Cause of, because, because obviously the Germans were looking for it. And uh, the, I think the people in the village, managed, nearby village managed to keep it secret. Wow. And you're there to kind of, mm. um, you're, you're doing up the house, aren't you, a bit? Yeah, we're having the house done up. So we're packing up and I'm, um, yes... Um, so I've, we've managed to sneak this into a busy schedule of packing oh, and putting good. things in boxes. Um, <clears throat> now, last week, we promised that we were going to talk... Well, I mean, there's a lot going on, isn't there? Um, uh, aside from uh, the Second World War, um, the, you know, the, the, your brother the other day noted that... I think every, I think he wasn't the only person that spotted this, that basically the discussions for what's going to happen might, might happen in Ukraine are taking place in Munich, which is... <laughs> Which is extraordinary, isn't it? it if you're is into historical echoes, <laughs> yeah, 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 I know, uh, and and it's and it's interesting, isn't it? Because the disinformation campaign is exactly the same. Um, the build up, I mean, it, you, you know, the build up before Germany goes into Poland, you know, will they, won't they? It, you know, the rhetoric that is coming out of the British government and the American government is basically the same as the British government was saying in kind of you know late August 1939. Um, the, the kind of the false flag stuff. You know, everyone was expecting it. Um, Hitler didn't disappoint. Looks like 
Putin's not disappointing on that either. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, of course we're not going to invade. Of course we're not going to invade. Um, and it's sort of, you know, it's 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 sort of, it's becoming inevitable because those few shots are being fired, aren't they? And you just know it's going to escalate. And um, it, well, it just it, it really does, does feel, feel like, like the point of, of, of no return already. Yeah, and the ethno nationalism around it also makes it feel very much like, um, you know, that this is a this is the sort of you know it's the same beef. Or ostensibly the same beef, isn't it? Is that that they're, they're Russian? They always have been, in the way that the people in East Prussia are German, and they always have been, and they belong they belong to us, regardless of any, regardless of uh, 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 the yeah. fact that there's a nation state, a democratic nation state, caught up in this. Although, I mean, it's tricky to call Poland that in 1939, but that's not the point. It's that yeah. it, it, it. No, it does. I, I, I mean, I'm I'm always, you know, you've got to always be careful saying that history repeats itself and all that sort of thing. But but. Um, it's certainly got some heavy echoes uh, this week, but there you go. I mean, it, you have to. Yeah, hope I, it, you I've, have I've to always argued. I've always argued that history doesn't repeat itself, but but that patterns of human behaviour do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing here at the moment, yeah. aren't we? And yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, and frankly, Ukraine's chances of holding out without much support are pretty much the same as Poland's against Nazi Germany in yeah. September 1939. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one gives them a, a, yeah. a, a much of a chance. It's just. Yeah. What happens if it descends into guerrilla war? It's it's what is the yeah. response from from Europe? Is it is it going to be just stand back like it was in nineteen thirty nine or or well like, what, it, like it was in Chechnya and Georgia and you know because this isn't the, the sort of first rodeo is it? Um, uh, no, Russian, and if Russian, I was you know revanchism on the collapse of the Soviet Union, isn't it? It's basically what is reentrenchment, isn't it? Um, yeah, anyway, no, absolutely. But but you know if I was in the Balkans, I'd be feeling pretty um, pretty edgy. Oh right God, now. Christ. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we but but and the uh, we're, we're here to talk, I mean, we're here know, to talk all about those sort of places. Yeah, here to talk about the Second World War, not about the Third World War. Um, no, exactly. <laughs> it's the remit of this podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, now, now we've uh, also we've been we've been discussing warfare, haven't we, amongst ourselves and what we're putting together for the program. And I don't want to, I don't want to deliver any spoilers. Um, I think we can uh, deliver a couple uh, of spoilers, though, can't we? One of the things we've been talking about is. Um, uh, if you if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know about family stories. So what we're going to what we're planning on doing is doing a version of that um, uh, at Warfest, where you can hear, or basically, where we're aiming to not create to create no dry eyes in the house, and to go through our favourite stories from um, family stories, and then have uh, uh, the, the speakers that you that you may know uh, from the podcast come on on the read read those stories because. Um, we were talking about. I mean, you you'd posted about it um, uh, after after because we're recording this Sunday, aren't we? You 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 posted today about about family stories. What you like about it, Jim, is that it it just really underlines the the incredible stuff that's going on all over the world in ordinary people's lives, and that, that they're having to that they're having to step up to this plate as well, which is the most incredible thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean. You know, obviously, the more I get involved in the in the history of the Second World War, the more I'm interested in why decisions that were made, how people, how different combatant nations fight their wars. Yeah, the kind of you know, I'm I'm very interested in that high level stuff. Obviously, the operational level because I keep banging on about it. But you know, I am really really fascinated <laughs> by all that. But always, you go back to this this notion that it's ordinary people caught up in extraordinary events yeah. and just having to kind of sink yeah. or swim. And having to do yeah. these extraordinary things, and I think the thing about the family story series is that the stuff that's come in 
is across the board just amazing. Um, There's heartbreaking stories, there's incredible stories of unbelievable fortitude, the scale of global travel (laughs) that goes on from people. Well, that's the thing. Is also the the dislocation is just absolutely incredible. Yeah, because because every week there is a story about someone who basically goes goes around the world one and a half times. Uh, I mean, it, it, it. it's it's quite and just in the matter of their duties, then you know, often enough. I mean, the week before last, there was the guy who there was the guy who, you know, the the minute he got to North Africa, he was straight in the bag because because the you know the the eighth army was in full flight, and so they they're sent forward and they're in the bag, and it's taken him a year and a half to get there by going to Iraq and training and all this sort of stuff, and then he's in he's basically in theatre for five minutes and is and then spends the rest of the war in. I mean, it's. Just even that is incredible. That sort of because that's the other thing you have to remember, isn't it? Is that that contingency plays so often into when people get into theatre, what their fate is, as much as anything else. And they go through the same training, the same kind, the same bullshit, the same rigmarole as everybody else. And then they, you know, it's it's like it's like the difference between the guy who the the guy who's injured on D Day and the guy who makes it all the way to the Baltic. The sheer the contingency that then follows once once you're. Not even when you're in theatre, though, it can happen anywhere. It's the other, the, the, the crazy thing. Yeah, and, and the, just the, I mean, linking to that, it's just the huge impact that chance, luck, good fortune, yeah. a millimetre, yeah. a half inch, yeah. a hair's breadth <laughs> comes to yeah. whether people live or die or get badly maimed. It's just absolutely yeah. astonishing. And, and Family Stories really brings that home and it's a reminder isn't it that it's that it's not yeah. about statistics and divisions and units and numbers it's actually about individuals and each individual that gets caught up that or uh, caught up in it or gets lost in it or gets killed in it is a is a human tragedy or a human yeah. triumph and it really comes home and, and one of the things I, I really love about it is you, you sense that a, almost all these stories would be hidden to the rest of the world, were it not for the fact that that people are sending them in for us to read out on, yeah. on effectively well, well, on radio. Well, well, that's it. And the, and the thing is, is because I've you know I've been writing this book, this command book about people mm. who have you know doorstep sized biographies about some of the characters, and then and then some of them there aren't. And that's the other thing is it's interesting. You know, you, you, if you want to, if you want to, I mean, I think one of the interesting things because I've written about Bradley and Patton. There's nowhere near as much stuff written about Bradley. Although he is a general of the army, he gets to the, he gets to the very top, yeah. right? But he no, ends up but, being chief of staff, doesn't he? At the end of, after the post war, exactly, 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 right? He's, he's, an, he's when he runs the veterans thing after the war, and then he's chief of staff. It's like an, an incredible career, but there's nothing like the ink spilt over him as there is over over Patton, right? But but then when you look at someone like, and, and we'll, we'll probably talk about him in a minute, you know, someone like Alistair Pearson, who who's a lieutenant colonel in the in 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 six airborne, you know, is in charge of a battalion power. commander. He ba- basically disappears from the record. Yeah, there, and there's a book. There's a book written. It was written about him in the early eighties, I think. Um, when when everyone thought he was going to die, and they thought we need to get we need to get um, Jock Pearson's stories down because they're awfully good. And so someone went and interviewed him and wrote this book. But basically, and so so what chance does one of our listeners' grandpas who was on a yeah, on a destroyer, or a, or in a or in a you know drove a piloted an LST or whatever. What chance does any of them have of their story speaking out through? If, if even a, a colonel in a much lauded battalion in a in an incredibly yeah. sort of glamorous division, he basically disappears from the wreck. If what chance do any of these people have? And I think 
I mean, look, you know, I mean, we're picking ourselves up here, but I really do like the fact that we're, I really do love the fact that we're, that we've been doing this. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, go on. Well, no, it's because it was because of someone's story about 13th Power Battalion that I wanted to talk about the Battle of Breville because he, 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 he touches on it in, um, in the story yes. the week before last about, you know, what's going on because, and we'll, we'll We'll get to this. Well, well, before we do that, I just want to say, I I don't, at the risk of sort of blowing smoke up your ass, what you are going to do for Warfest is create and write the family stories event. And it's not just going to be blokes just standing up on stage reading out stuff. It's going to be a properly orchestrated event with images and a bit of music and and all sorts of stuff. And it'll be a, a proper show. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think that's incredibly exciting. And the fact that you're doing that means, obviously, it's got a, you know, you know what you're doing when it comes to putting on a show. Well, we'll end, so, on, a, we'll end um, on a song and a laugh. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, you know, it's it just dark. means it's 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 going to be it's going to be really yeah. really good. But I think it's yeah. worth just mentioning yeah. some of the other things we we've you know we've got coming yeah. up. You know, we've got a number of, of German historians coming over. Um, yeah. we've got Rana Mitter talking about about um, China. We've got the Indian yes, Army, who we spoke to, who we spoke to the other day. Yeah, well, we spoke to yes. one the other day, and, and which will be out soon, and that was a, an amazing chat. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, you know, the, the the quality of the cloth we were getting from Rana was quite was quite something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's still to come, I think, on the on the podcast, isn't it? But it really, yeah. properly, properly good. Um, yeah, we're going to do the rise and fall of the Luftwaffe with Jens Weiner and Christoph yep. Bergs coming all the way over from from Germany, yep. which I'm really excited about. We've got Katrin Himmler, who is the great niece of Heinrich Himmler, <laughs> and she is amazing because she is just the loveliest person on the planet, and yet she has yeah. this monster in the family. and And how do you deal with that? How do you how do you exist in modern Germany with that name, with that legacy? And I think that's uh, she's incredibly moving about it. Um, well, given last year, Hans Frank pointed out, you know, and talking about his legacy, he's saying, well, my name's Frank, you know, no, no one knows who I am uh, unless I unless I bring it up. No one knows, I'm, you, 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 you know, they don't yeah, know my... Because it's not an uncommon name, scenes. is it? It's, it's, it's one well, step down you know, from Smith, isn't it? Well, and his point was Anne Frank, you know, he said, I could be, I could be yeah. a, a, anybody. Whereas, in fact, you know, if you're called Himmler, it's, uh, it's uh, a great big alarm bell, isn't it? I expect if you're German. Yes, and she, and oh and she's made. Katrin has made the conscious decision not to change her name, to not put yeah. a huge great light bulb over it, but at the same time, yeah. not shy away from it because she says, you know, I'm not going to be defined by my my great uncle. You know, I am yeah. I am my own person, and I am a good person, and you know, I strive to be a good person. And, and she's she's really really lovely. She's an absolute sweetheart, very gentle, yeah. gentle person. Um, we're yeah. doing war movie goggle box, which will be fun. So we're going to do clips of yeah. you and I kind of talking about it, and I think it'd be fun to do it at kind of sort of uh, um, historical accuracy, and then as a movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've got <laughs> Steve Fisher coming to talk about Sword Beach. We've got Ian McGregor talking about yeah. Stalingrad. We've got the Pacific War. Talk on the Pacific War with John McManus coming yeah. over from the US um, and Saul yeah. David. Um, we've got best German generals Bernard Cast um, and Alex Ritchie. Um, yeah. Got the road to war with um, Katja Hoyer, and we've got favourite of the yep. show PCA talking about victory of the West and a whole load of other stuff which um, we're in the process of firming up. Uh, all very exciting things. Battle of the Atlantic. So all sorts of good stuff. We've got the Colonel coming back. Um, yes, and, Colonel and, coming back. I think he's 
Well, I think he's going to talk about the bridges at, um, on the Old River and the Corn Canal. So the the Sapper effort, fantastic, fantastic, yeah, which well, is which is boggling what they yes. what they got up to. Yeah, um, uh, and what's not to like. Yeah. Um, and exactly. then and then in the hardware <laughs> stakes, we've got way more than we had this 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 last year. So it's going to be kind of yeah. you know pretty pretty full on. Um, not only yeah. have we got three point seven inch heavy anti aircraft guns, I think we've got two of them, and we've got a searchlight. <laughs> So, um, you know, Luftwaffe coming over, look out. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So well, we, f- we failed to shoot an airliner down last year, but there we go. Um, uh, so, uh, um, and if you, th- th- those tickets are on Eventbrite. Uh, we have Wazefest tickets. So, uh, and there are, there are day tickets, which we didn't do last year. So anyway. Yep. Now, 22nd um, to 24th of now, July. 22nd to the 24th of July. So right at the start of the summer holidays. So just before you, uh, although, you know, who knows? Who knows what the summer will bring, eh? I mean, yeah. having well, had a it, no, hurricane, hurricane you know, come through. No, well, we'll be fine, because the, the bottom line is is all the talks will be in a tent and they'll be covered, that doesn't matter. Um, and if it's rainy, well, welcome welcome to the war. Um, so, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's foolproof. It's foolproof. Whatever happens, yeah. we're going to have a great time. I think it's also worth just mentioning yeah. that, you know, some of the things we've got coming up on the pod. Um you know, yeah. we've we've um, lined up is Piers Brendan, Professor Piers Brendan. He's coming yes. on to talk about about Churchill and the toxicity of yeah. of the way we look at Churchill now and the dangers of yeah. that. So that's going to be really really fascinating. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, um, we're yeah. going to see John Everest, who has done that amazing garden yes. above Aramanch, um, and he's yeah. now doing a Battle of Britain garden for Chelsea Flower Show. Um, boy, yeah. has he got a story and a half because his his old man was shot down over the Pyrenees. Uh, really? Well, no, shot down in France and then escaped over the Pyrenees. He escaped over. Oh the Pyrenees. He was an observer in a in a in a bomber, so he's got an amazing Incredible. story. Yep. Um, gosh, we've got all sorts of uh, we're talking to Philip Mould, aren't we? About um, yeah, about a new undiscovered Churchill portrait. Yeah, and then there's so, the ongoing business of the Lloyd Lloyd Carrier. And then the ongoing um, business of the Lloyd Carrier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and we've got Ron Amitter, of course, as we've already mentioned. So, yeah, 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 lots yeah, of good yeah, stuff yeah. coming up. And anyway. Um, well, and he well, and he put me onto that book about Japan, um, um, uh, which, which is absolutely incredible by one of his students. It's a hero, I think, it was the, it's a hero. Yeah, and that 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 is absolutely amazing um, because he makes the point that in the run up to the the run up to the you know the, the it's it, it's called it, it's it's about the run up to Pearl Harbor, so it's about the Japanese decision making process in the run up to. Um, uh, you know, deciding to attack the US, basically. And he says, you've got a real problem with the records because everyone's talking to each other at cabinet meetings or, or, or war office committee meetings. They're all talking to each other, basically, to try and agree to try and agree with each other. And then privately, they're all saying to each other, we can't possibly do this. It's madness. No, they dare right, but they're not saying it. They're not saying it when they're together. They're not saying it. They're not saying it when they're together. And they're not saying it when there's someone, you know, who they think who they think they better not say that in front of. Right. So, so he says it's it's essentially kind of. Uh, I'll, I'll, let me find the um, actual name of this book because um, it's 1941. I think it's Japan in 1941. It's 1940. It? That's right. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, I've yeah, just ordered it. I've just ordered it on your recommendation. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's it called? Japan 1941 by Eri Hotter. That's it. Yeah. And it's. It, it it it's extraordinary, and this this thing of um, you know that, that basically slicing through the um, records is really really hard 
because because it's Jap- you know and, and he says it's a cultural thing that 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 getting a, getting a translation um you know that he says that obviously you don't know what's going on you've got what's written down but you don't know what's going on between the people you right. don't know what the where, what the pauses are and you don't know where the irony is in the conversations and you don't know you know right. the, the, right, the nudge right. nudge wink wink that, that that's going on and that also there's this 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 basic thing that people really don't they don't they don't really feel they've got any other option than to go to war with America but they also don't think they're going to they don't really think they're going to win so they they're in this absolute bind of We've got to make a decision. We've got to do something. America, you know, America, America's interfering in our plans with the, the you know, the Chinese incident. Um, uh, what do we do? And they end up concluding that going to war is their option, was in fact, they also know that it's not going to help. I mean, no. it, it's absolutely, it's absolutely extraordinary. And he talks about how um, uh, the, the sort of six months before Pearl Harbor, everyone stopped wearing ostentatious clothes. And the sort of fashionable people are all wearing very grey and dour clothes because the mood is changing um, uh, in, in Japan and they, they know that things have really gone awry in China and that and the, the rice ration is getting worse and worse yes. and worse and, that, and then they, they, know they know they're really in trouble and, he, and he's, got, he's got this novelist who's, who's a follower of fashion saying well I'll try I try wearing my sort of good duds but I can't get away with it and it, it's really really interesting and yet you know these factions inside inside the Japanese government that can't decide what to do. It's really it, it it's really really good. And and you know, and he has to say at one point he says, "I'm not an apologist for what's going on here. I'm just trying to figure out what what the hell's happened. I'm not sympathetic to the the you know the fact that he feels he needs to cover himself is also really interesting um, in well, writing this history." Well, I'm looking forward to getting that. Um, and um, I've also um, got on order Daily Life in Wartime Japan, which is written by um, Samuel uh, yeah. Hideo Yamashita. I don't know yeah. if there's any relation to yeah. General Yamashita. Talking about it, but I think that'd be really interesting because I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit hooked in on all this, I've got to say. And I'm also becoming completely obsessed with MacArthur. Because um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm writing this, I'm writing this TV script at the moment about the Battle of Manila. And it's just yeah. so interesting. And I'm trying to work out whether the whole decision you know because because the the narrative is that MacArthur was this kind of huge egomaniac he only went into Luzon because he was desperate to get to Manila because basically he felt you know Manila was home to MacArthur in a way that Washington or the United States wasn't and you know he spent so many years there and you know his mother died there and he married there and blah 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 you know he's completely wedded to it but he's but he's unusual in that respect for an American um uh uh Officer, a high-ranking officer, because they all tend to try and avoid the Philippines posting. They all they all tend to do what they whatever they can to not have to go there. Yes. Um. Uh. And so MacArthur's MacArthur really s- sort of sticks out in that regard compared to everyone else. That they they try and stay. In, you know, Patton is meant to go when he's a when he's a subaltern or a captain. I think he's meant to go to the Philippines, and he does he wriggle he does everything he can to wriggle out of going because he doesn't want to go. Because he thinks it's a dead end. Well, it's a very interesting. It's an interesting situation because the Philippines is, has been a sort of American possession since 1898 when they take it off the Spanish, um, um, but it then becomes a Commonwealth, and MacArthur is a massive advocate for complete independence of the Philippines. And, really, and 
the difference between these other places, if you bypass another place, you know, just let, you know, A, they're these small atolls and small islands where, you know, the, the, the kind of indigenous populations are quite small, which is not the case for the Philippines, where there's a really big population, which is very wedded to the United States. So he feels you can't bypass it because... It's that like would a, be it, it. it would abandon them, and, and Marshall goes, "No, it's not abandoning them. It's making a strategic decision to not have a huge bloody conflict, which is going to kill lots of them there at that particular moment." Of course, we're not abandoning them, but MacArthur doesn't feel that, and he feels that they need they have responsibility to it. And there's also all these prison camps where there are lots of people, and lo including lots of American citizens as well as high-ranking. Filipino citizens who are in these prison camps and the worry is yeah. they're all going to get massacred if they don't liberate them and one of the reasons why he's so quick to push this drive to Manila yes undoubtedly he wants to get there because it's Manila and, and he wants to get back to his kind of home city effectively but there is a there is it's not entirely his ego running away with him there, there is practical reasons which is and humane reasons which is if they don't get there all these camps all the people in these camps are going to get yeah. slaughtered and you know he's completely yeah. i'm sure he's right to predict that and so the whole kind of you know and the other thing is is there is no you know if you look at the map the philippines and particularly luzon which is the northern part of the philippine archipelago it's pretty close to japan you know it's not it's not that far away and formosa which is what ernest king what admiral king wants to attack you know his idea is bypass the philippines get to formosa and now taiwan yeah yeah. And Taiwan is kind of, you know, that's also problematic because it's a big built up area and it's, you know, it is, the Japanese certainly consider it a home island. So the defence yeah. of that might be even worse. And, you know, they could easily get bogged yeah. down in that in, in a yeah, way, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. The way that there is a sort of assumption that they're not going to get too bogged down in the Philippines. It doesn't work out that way. But I think that sort of retrospective kind of um, knowledge being put onto the decision-making process at the time in October, October nineteen forty-three. It is the decision of the Joint Chiefs to go into Philippines. Okay, MacArthur's ah. been lobbying it very, very yeah, hard, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they yeah, yeah. they approve it. It's not it's not MacArthur who makes the decision. And, and, right, and one of the reasons what, that prompts the attack in Leyte, which is this, one of the smaller islands in the middle of the archipelago, is from Bull Halsey, Admiral Halsey who has done these carrier raids and says, yeah. I don't think there's an awful lot on lately. I think this could be a really fantastic, quick and easy victory. And then we've got extra airfields yeah. and, you know, what's not to like. Yeah. And he's yeah. the one who persuades Nimitz to abandon a whole load of other, um, um, going to Yag and various other places that they were planning to do, these little kind of island hopping yeah. operations. He says, you don't need to do it. You can bypass those. And Nimitz makes arguably his worst decision of the, of the war, which is, to go into Peleliu and the Palau Islands, yeah. which ends up being yeah. this kind of 10-week slugfest. Um, yeah. And it shouldn't have been. But Leyte is, you know, it's a comparatively quick quick victory. And having got, done, got Leyte and got those airfields there and then got Mindoro, then going to Luzon seems the obvious next, next thing to do. Yeah. And it's yeah. just that it turns into this huge slugfest but the key areas yeah. are capturing manila and stuff you know it's captured in by the 3rd of march 1945 after the 9th of january landings and although you know there are still operations going on in the mountains until august yeah you know they're not yeah they're out of the picture yeah. they're out of the picture they're not they're not strategically significant at all 
And so I think one can, you know, it's, it's, you can argue that actually MacArthur's decision to go into Luzon doesn't look quite so quite as self-serving and ego-driven yeah. as perhaps it does in retrospect. I think that's the point. But and I think but that's also, quite interesting. I mean, and he, the, he is clearly a but, great man. Well, the, well, and you've also, I mean, the other thing, the other thing to remember with America is, is it is an imperial power. It's an imperial. It? So power. this is an imperial. This is an imperial power consideration, and 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 isn't it? Because after all, if if all the main players in the Philippines are murdered, um, then who's he going to? And if he believes in America extracting itself from the Philippines and Filipino independence, who's he going to do the deal with? And what? Who are you going to do the deal with? So you want known political elements involved in post-war settlement, don't you? Rather than something fresh springing up out of nowhere that you might not have any. Uh, um, any grip on politically yep. you, you you know what i mean yeah uh, and and so that must be part of the sort of co- cogitation and calculation that's going on because because america is an imperial power and this is its empire this is where where it's doing actually it's doing empire which is the irony of course that the americans think that burma is an imp- a british imperial sideshow it's just the british trying to prop up the british empire or defend the british empire in india um that in actual fact the philippines is it's it's that's the american empire no, no two ways about it yeah. I mean, you know, the irony, of course, is after all that Pearl Harbor is on Hawaii, where which is which is an American imperial possession. It's not a state at the time, and <laughs> and yes, and, and yes, so on. But we don't, true. we don't, we don't dwell on that, do we? Well, we, no, we, we don't, we don't. But it, but I, you know, I suppose well, I'm not. Well, you know, we my don't mind dwell on it because we don't dwell on it because the Americans have have not dwelt on that and have made a point of not of not expressing things in terms of an American empire, an imperial sphere of interest, if you want. Whereas, in fact, that's actually what's going on here. You know, it, it, where Rob calls, you know, the, the Burma War of Empires. But I think you could talk about the Pacific War between America and Japan as a war of empires as well. Well, Philippines, absolutely, unquestionably. And, and you know, it may seem very distant to people in, in, um, in Washington, but, but it is part of their kind of in, in, imperial yeah. possessions, even though it's got Commonwealth status and MacArthur's kind of you know, well, yeah, independent. Yeah. But, but, you know, the, the, I suppose the point is that there, there is an umbilical link between the US and the Philippines, which makes it different from another island that you might bypass, which has got nothing to do with you, yeah, which yeah. was Dutch or British or, you know, completely independent yeah. or, you know, yeah. historically Japanese or German or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not the same. Um, and I can... And I, th- I think a lot of the kind of criticism about the invasion of, of Philippines is being wise after the event because it turned into this big slugfest yeah, yeah. and not a kind of, you know, yeah. three-week walkover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, but I'm, what, but we'll I'm, not, I'm not Let's take a break. And then we talk about Let's Paris. take a break. And then we'll talk about the Battle of Breville, which we seem to be... We seem to, we seem to push away each time we get close to it. Um, uh, you're listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with, with me, our Murray and James Holland. We'll be back in a second. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, 
Was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Um, James and I have been, we've, well, we've been, we've already been around the houses, haven't we? Yeah, but it's been good. I mean, the, the street fighting in Manila. Now, um, I Well, I, th- I think all that about- stuff, just the last thing I'll say about the Pacific, <laughs> I think what, what's exciting about the Pacific is you and I are both coming to this, you know, fresh. So we're reading different aspects yeah, yeah. of the, of the war in the, in the Far East and war of the Japan. And what I'm finding so amazing is, is, Gosh, doesn't it add context to the wider war and one's understanding of the wider war? What's going yeah, on yeah. in Europe and yeah. the Atlantic and well, American and, decision and, making? And really, and, wow. Well, it's American. It's American decision making for me that it's really making me um, think think again about. You know, I mean, you really, you really can't think about. Um, you know what happens in the last in Europe, the last five months of the war in Europe, without considering what's going on in the Far East. I think it's completely, it's completely, it's but foolish not to consider it. And you and and, and what, what what's really interesting is you've got, you know, in Europe you've got you, you've got because Bradley, you know, having read read a lot of Bradley stuff lately, Bradley's Bradley's livid about about um, M- Montgomery saying, oh, we should go to Berlin, and then and then Mont- Montgomery's told, no, you're not doing that. That's not going to happen. Ike, Ike stands in Jan says, you can't do that. You're going to the Baltic. Got, you've, got to, you've got to make sure that, you know, that we deal with Denmark rather than get to Denmark before the Soviets. That's what you've got to do. That's more important. So, you know, and, and Bradley describes Montgomery as, you know, the tail between his legs and, 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 and you know, because he hates him. So he, so he but, but obviously Bradley knows that so much of this decision making is to do with, the Far East and the fact that Montgomery can't see out out I think he can't see outside that because he's thinking in terms of a political victory and that you take the enemy's capital and that's how you win because Montgomery's thinking in terms of the First World War we didn't do that we didn't defeat the Germans explicitly and we need to you know that's his political calculus isn't it yeah um, and Bradley know Bradley Bradley knows perfectly well that they're thinking oh shit we you know the home islands are next 
Yeah. And and they really are, and they really are planning for that, and they really are trying to figure out how to, you know, it's that thing from, um, you, you know, that they're, they're having they're having to plan a blood drive so there'll be enough blood for the um, autumn of nineteen forty five for when they invade the southern island. You know, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. That, that's Those that's sort of all very real. Yeah, and very as sobering. Con- as considerations go, very sobering consideration. You know, because they've got to ask the civilian population to, comp- you know, the American home population to engage with. To engage with that as a as a you know that that's shit getting real, isn't it? Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, on the subject of on the subject of shit getting real, I thought we'd talk about the the Battle of Breville because um uh, uh because this we had this story from thirteen para battalion, this guy who was in the who were Lancashire battalion, and the interesting thing is is they 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 don't take part in this battle as such, but what it really made me consider is. Six Airborne, you know, super famous for um, uh, Pegasus Bridge, the Merville Battery, right? Night of, night of D-Day. But that division, the, the, the battle that that division fights, rather than the Kudamau raid style stuff it does, the actual battle it fights isn't until um, 12th of June. So it's basically a week later. And is climactic and... Um, absolutely decisive in the in the defense of the allied left flank and and yet what all anyone wants to talk about is you know john howard and the chaps taking the the con canal and taking pegasus bridge and not this climactic battle that really gale um uh, richard gale windy gale who's the um who's the commanding officer of six airborne knows he's going to have to fight at some point and this is exactly. the this That's is the twelfth thirteenth of, of June, isn't it? This is the, the up yeah. up on there is the Bois de Bavent, yeah, and the Battle of Breville. Yeah, and there's a load there's, there's a load of fighting on the on the eleventh as well, which Ninth Parachute Battalion um, uh, have to do uh, um, uh, as well. So basically, the, 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 there's this sort of you know there's the there's the there's the three DZs and the LZ. The LZ is the the, the landing zone is you know for later on D Day because I think you could. In, in sort of assessing this, you've got to put aside what happens on D-Day. Yes. You've got to put aside the, the Mayorville battery action. You've got to put aside the, the, the Carl Canal, uh, Orne River thing, and look at what they're actually, what Six Airborne have actually got to do. Yes. And what they've, got, what, what they've got to do is make sure no one can get to the canal. And also, there's a ridge of high ground at this village of Breville, where if you're in Breville, you can see right down onto the river and the canal and you can see down onto Sword Beach. And it's the it's the nearest point to the Allied landing, to the lodgement, apart from Colombelle, which is further down the river, further south to Walk On. Because Colombelle is where famously that grain silo is, where you can yep. if you've got a if you've got a foo in the grain silo, if the Germans have a foo in the grain silo, they can see you can basically see everything. And so Yeah, I'm just getting all up on take, my I'm just getting up on my Google yeah. Earth. So you need to take Breville, where you look at Google Earth. So what's really interesting about the countryside here is it's lots of wide open spaces. So it's not, it's not bocage fighting like we think of. You've got those small orchards, which are very, very dense and, wall, and tend to be walled, which form these sort of strong points and woods. But, what, but basically it's wide open fields. And there's the road up from, there's the road up from Breville to Onfreville. Yes, and Le, Le Marquet, which are, and there's a drop zone in the middle of that space. Yeah, and, this and is, that's this that's a really obvious one. And you can one can stand on there's there's a there's a, a water yeah. tower on the Breville Ridge. Yeah, it's not the same yeah. water tower, but there was a water tower there in 1944. Yeah, yeah. and you can stand on yeah. that and you can look down and you just go drop zone right in front of you. It's yeah. it's yeah. completely obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah. And yeah. as you say, then you can look down towards Benneville and, and Colin Bell and, yeah. and, and all the rest You can of see it. everything. You can see basically and you can see everything. it's such an obviously strategically important piece of, piece of land. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, yeah. Rommel goes so, there, doesn't he, just at just a, uh, just yeah. the very end of May, and goes, this is obviously a drop zone. This, this is, is a incredibly key, key You need to put some yeah. anti-glider anti obstacles in that area, yeah. PDQ. Yeah. Yeah. So that so that stretch of land belongs to is is you know in the hands of 346th Infantry Division, who and what's really interesting is on the night of after the Mayville Battery raid, nine, nine para battalion who are operating at probably a third strength because obviously the, for the Mayville raid, 150 guys get to the RV out of 600 and something, right? They put in the raid anyway. Half of them are killed or injured. So, so, and then all the waves and strays start turning up. The people who didn't make the RV on the night of D-Day start turning up. So Otway's battalion gains in strength and they actually go into Breville on the night of the 7th, I think, and, and realise they're too far forward and that whatever they do, they, they, they can't defend themselves should the Germans put in a push. So they get out. And, and you know, it's to, it's to everyone's regret that that, that that happens because they did actually have a... They did actually have this high ground, the toehold sorted. Then there's and then there's pressure from the east um, from three forty six. And basically, what happens is you get this series of attacks and counterattacks, and also that that it becomes an artillery battle. And um, the six airborne have at their disposal HMS Arethusa, which is chucking um, six inch shells over onto the German counterattack. So every time the Germans push in an attack, eventually the Navy delivers fire. And it turns into a complete, I mean, a, a complete channel house. You know, the, 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 uh, and the, um, the, as the battle progresses, um, Gale is given other assets to, to, to deploy. So um, 51st Highland uh, Division, uh, um, and he's got his first special, first, uh, special service brigade, they're all put together in a, you know, under under Gale's wing, and the Black Watch put in a, put in, a, in an attack. Well, they arrive. They arrive a, up yeah, that. Yeah. There's that sunk. If you go onto the Breville Ridge and you go to the Water Tower, yeah, yeah. Just if you're yeah. looking back towards the, the Orn and back towards sort of con yeah. direction, so looking west, yeah. Just yeah. next to it, in the trees, is this sunken lane. And there's yeah. an, and just next to that, there is now a memorial to the to the fifty first Highland Division and the fifth yeah. Black Watch. Yeah. But they come up that they they walk across the DZ and they yeah. come up that sunken lane and they just get absolutely yeah. mowed down because well, and they, and, they and, come in and they go and we know what we're doing and and they're well there's this awful encounter with Otway because I wouldn't go that, that way if I were you because um, they come through Nine Para and they, and he says I wouldn't go that way if I were you he says I go up to the chap with red tabs on and say I, you know you really don't want to do that. Um, the place is full of Germans. You you really do not want to do that. And they and they put in, they go across the field in a wide attack. And basically, the, I think their A company is completely wiped out. Yeah. Um. And it's appalling. And then, um, and then some Shermans arrive, <laughs> who are then told, "I wouldn't go that way if I were you." It's it's full of Germans, and the and the same thing happens to them. And yeah. uh, uh, you know. Uh, I mean, what's really interesting, though, is, th is that... So in the end, though, Gail thinks, well, this, we absolutely have to take this village. And it goes to and fro. And he puts together a scratch company of um, what's left of his reserves. And there's a... Um, so he's got 12th York, some people from 12th Yorkshire's 
uh, uh, 12th Devons and the independent company, so the Pathfinders, 20, 22nd independent parachute company. And they go forward and are then shelled by both sides. So are shelled by their own artillery and eventually, uh, and they have to go, and they do this attack at nine o'clock in the evening. And the reason they have to go in that evening is because um, uh, the core artillery is only available that, that evening for that shoot because it's penciled for right. something the following day. And so he has to, he has to put in this attack at, du- you know, last, it last light basically on the 12th. Yeah. Um, and it does the, it does the trick, but only after, I mean, only after absolute carnage. And I think the, the, the really interesting thing about this is, is because this is, this is six airborne's back infantry battle. You know, it's, 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 um, you know, you, you, you come out the other side of them being, uh, airborne soldiers in a way for this bit. And, and, the, and, Rather than it being the glamour of the gliders and the parachute attacks, it's them being absolutely dogged and resolute. Yes. And, you know, all the stuff that basically gets all your officers and NCOs killed. And I think... Well, it's just amazing, isn't know, it? I mean, the, 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 the scale of I the mean, slaughter this, this is, just, is, is just a huge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely... It's absolutely. In, it's just incredible. one after another. From, from, from Lord Lovett yeah. all the way down. I mean, they all get... Yeah, one yeah, by yeah, one, yeah. they're taken well, out. And... and yeah, and Hugh Kindersley from Six Air Landing as well, the Brigadier. He's also re- re- really badly injured, but it works. And you, you, you know, you, you you see this thing of, you know, these are, you know, we, and we talked about this before when you when you've got um, experienced Germans versus green green British. You're six Airborne, apart from some of the officers, you know, Brigadier Hills running things, and Gale's not green and. The battalion commanders aren't green like um, pe- people like, uh, although people like Otway and Pearson, they're, you know, they're reasonably experienced. But basically their battalions are made up of inexperienced men. Yeah. Because they're newly, they're converted battalions who weren't in North Africa and weren't yeah. in Italy and weren't in, and weren't in Sicily because the division was raised aside from what First Airborne was doing. I can't remember which, which, which battalion it is, but, but almost the entire battalion is the Somerset Light Infantry, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, and yeah. there's another one which is a sort of you know a, a Midlands one, which is Pearson's, isn't it? Um, yeah, you know, they're that's from right. Some, material, some some Midlands based North Hans or something. yeah, they're Warwick's. They're, they're Warwick's or something. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well, Hill. I mean, you bring Hill up. He's injured on D-Day because he's bombed by the Americans on D-Day and has a big wound in his in his buttock and uh, spends spends the rest of the campaign basically patched up. Um, and and Hill. Hill, you know, puts in counterattacks himself personally because there are no officers about because things have gone so. I mean, it's not that things. Well, is I mean, you've got to. I mean, a, a question to ask here is: Have things gone wrong here? Are they? Is, is this as good as they as, as well as they can go? Because um, the cause the the casualty bill. You know, you've got one hundred and twenty people in um in uh in that attack killed. Um, you know, in, in, in this scratch attack, are killed, which is an incredible amount of people to lose. Uh, but it, but it's worse for the Germans. I mean, it's that this, uh, and this is obviously this doesn't. This battle is happening while other things are happening. You know, to the to the west of Caen, that uh, that uh, overshadow it really. And I, I sort of think. Um, well, yes, and it's funny, isn't it? Because because the airborne operations so overshadow everything else on D Day. 
and yet everything yeah. else then overshadows the Paris Paris yeah. after D-Day, which in a way is kind yeah. of, as you say, the interesting bit. I mean, that fight on Breville Ridge, the fight for Breville and, and the fight on the Breville Ridge and the Bois de Bavin is, is just extraordinary. I mean, Brigadier Hill loses a thousand casualties in a week yeah. after, in, yeah. after D-Day. And, you know, 12 yeah. para, what is it, Johnson and Bamfile, they're the kind of CEO and, yeah. and second in command. They're both... They're yeah. Killed, I think, aren't they? They're both both hit by a yeah. by, by shells yeah. going up into Breville, and yeah. it's amazing yes, now because well, you know you because you can go to you know one can go to Breville and, and you can then walk along that that road that links from that that runs along the ridge where there's that sunken lane going dropping back down onto the sort of Ronville area, um, and and you can see the the, the, the Chateau Saint Com, can't you? In the you know. And that line, yes, that road line, line that hedge line, yeah. exactly. And yeah. and they get decimated, of course, um, again. Yeah. Uh, um, and all along that line were, were foxholes in the in the hedgerows. Uh, and there's a house, isn't there, just behind the hedgerow, a bit, bit further on. And in the cellars, that was a medical post and there's still graffiti yeah. in there and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah, amazing. Yeah. It's, a, it's yes, the most amazing battle, place. The battle around the, the, battle around the Ch- Chateau Saint-Clome in itself is... Is an extraordinary, um, uh, again, a similar thing, where it's wave after wave of um, German infantry attack, but but backed up with SPs and um, anti-tank weapons and all that sort of stuff. And you know that 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 they credit nine power credit being able to hold up to the fact that the Germans are only using solid shot. And they're they're not using HE when they're attacking Chateau Saint Combe because they, because they, you know they, it seems they haven't got got the right stuff. And that's the, that's how they're able to hang on. Is that basically the rounds go straight through the building rather than blow it up? And it, you know, you when you're when you're, in, when you're making those calculations, you know, and it's about putting in pressing attacks with peats, guys grabbing Bren carriers, picking up the six pounder that's stuck the other side of the you know the other side of the orchard and bringing it across and getting a couple of rounds in and all that sort of thing. Absolutely desperate sort of last stand stuff that nine power are doing and they're not even they're not even the main breville battle that's the thing no well it's a, i think the other thing that's amazing about it is is that you you're making the point that a lot of these guys have not seen combat before but their superior training that the, the higher level of you know the fact that they are an elite unit in, yeah. in, you know in, in slightly yeah. air commas means that they are they've got this crucial thing that, that there aren't just six people in the platoon who are going to stand up they all will yeah. and so you repeatedly yeah. see the situation where they're really under extreme pressure they don't crack they hold out and, and someone steps up to the plate you know a sergeant a corporal a, a, a half jack um, um, a, a second lieutenant to the role of a captain or a major you know it, you see it time and time again and actually there is this incident on, on even even on D-Day where you know Tim Roosevelt is going off to kind of blow up the bridge at Troan uh, and there is this crossroads sort of between Troan and Le, Le May Nil sort of just kind of just off the edge of the Bois de Bavin kind of so at the kind of um, southern end of this this little this ridge line uh, and there's there's a there's a just a private Stevenson is left there with a, and he's got a peat, and twenty first Panzer turn up, and he he hits up all these um, hits up all these half tracks and SP guns um, that come up, and, yeah. and again, you know that that prevents them getting back onto the ridge, you know. So it's a small yeah. instance, but he just grips the situation and takes them. It, well, he doesn't take them out, but he he, yeah. he badly damages them, and they kind of pull back. Well, I mean, it's all you've got to do is all you've got to do is make them think twice, isn't it? That's the thing. And, uh, That's right. Uh, with, with with armor, I, 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 it is it is it is the most extraordinary battles. And then basically, they then sit in the line for another month and 
not, not a lot happens. Although further south, you've got um, eight power in the Bois de Bavon, led by Pearson. There's the road that comes up from Troan that's coming up yes. into the divisional area. Yeah. And they basically, they run a campaign, you know. Yes, and that's, that's where Stevenson is with his Piat on D-Day. It's just, it's just, yeah. it's just exactly yeah. that spot. It's absolutely, and, it, and, and they run this extraordinary campaign where they're, where they're in the wood and they pop out and, and, and do this very aggressive patrolling and make that road inaccessible to the Germans. The Germans are never quite sure what strength Pearson's men are in, in that, in that wood. Um, and he runs, he runs his own little private battle south of the rest of the division. Um, it, it's, it's, it's quite incredible. And yet, and yet, you know, and yet it, well, second Ox and Bucks go into the reserve as soon as they've done um, Pegasus Bridge. They're held, <laughs> you know, and then they move down to, um, you know, they they move down to um, uh, Escoville, you know, after all this, eventually. I mean, it's just it's just the most amazing battle. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, and that Pearson stuff is is fantastic, isn't it? It's it, um, you yeah. know, people forget yeah. that also on on D Day and beyond. You know, one of the key things was getting all those bridges across the um, across the River yeah. Dive. You know, and blowing those yeah. up because I so say what you want to do is you want to make it hard for the Germans to get up onto the ridge. You want to protect your bridges further west, the Orne and the and the Con Canal, obviously. But you want to hold that high yeah. ground, and you want to make it as difficult as possible for the Germans to get across to that high ground. So, so yeah. smashing all the bridges around the Dive, which runs roughly kind of sort of north to south, or rather south to north, yeah, um, is also absolutely vital. But but you know. That's a kind of backstory, and that's a D-Day backstory. And one yeah. of the reasons it's a D-Day backstory is because yeah. no one goes there because it's just a little bit too far. And if you go, you can get to, yeah. you can get to Pegasus Bridge really easy in your day trip, and, yeah. and also see Sword yeah. and Gold and Juno. But but to go to yeah, Troan yeah, yeah, yeah. just is, you know. Well, but yeah, and, and, and yes, exactly. You, you can go up to the cemetery at Ronville and 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 get the sense of the place, and that's all you need to do. I mean, it, it's very. I mean, this this. This whole, this whole, because six airborne isn't very large, you know. That's the other thing is, 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 is it's only six thousand men in its full strength that are landed, you know. But once yeah. it's done, so that they're amalgamated, but then also that they can have these, you know, fifty first Highlander given to them. But but it's it's all quite it's all quite conditional, and whether you get the, the, the their artillery or not is all quite conditional and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think that the fact that the fact that they have to put in this attack because there's no artillery the following day. Shows that you know all the way across the lodgement, people are putting out their local fires, aren't they? Yeah. And that yeah. that that very often when we talk about D Day, we talk about D Day rather than rather you know because it's not a D Day's about D is a D Day's about D plus one. D plus one is about D plus two. If you see what I mean, it's, it's, I do. That's that's the way you need to think about it. And this is the battle Gale expects to fight, but I mean it's a it's a it's. I mean, I, um, Neil Barber's written a book about not, about nine power called "The Day the Devils Dropped In," and it, so he's got Merville and then the and then the account of the fight fighting at the Chateau Saint Combe, and I recommend that to anybody because it's absolutely hair raising. Okay, what's it called? You know, there's a moment the day the devils dropped in, and he managed to speak to everyone who was still alive in sort of two thousand and one. Um, there's a moment where the padre comes down, you know, marches through the the chaos and nails the regiment nails the battalion flag to a tree and then and then marches back off and they're like right oh, okay padre <laughs> fantastic well fred glover who i knew stuff. he was he was in nine para yeah yeah i mean it's you know 
because after all, there's, there's, there's dispute, isn't there, as to what, what, how effectively they did spike the guns at Merville and whether there were any guns at Merville and whether, in fact, it was the Special Service Brigade who the following day went up and actually spiked the guns. You know, there's, all that, there's all that commando airborne um, rivalry about what happens at Merville. But, I sort of, you know, that, that, that's not the whole story. And the whole story is this incredible... And you think, I, I was, to be honest, I was reminded of Waterloo by it because you've got wide, wide open fields, you've got the... You've got charges at farmhouses, you know, you've got ridges and all that sort of stuff. And it's, and apart from, you know, 13th, 18th Lancers make an appearance. Yeah. And there is some, there are some SP guns, but it just, it really, they feel like heavy cavalry in this. It feels like a Waterloo type encounter with, you know, yeah. down to musketry and, and bayonets and farmhouses and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't, it's got that character, I think. Well, and the other thing is, is it is a great place to go and visit because it's it's, it's yeah, changed yeah. very little. Okay, Breville was completely mashed and it's been rebuilt, but the lay of the land, the Bois de Barvent has pretty much exactly the same yeah. fingerprint it did in 1944. Yeah. Um, Chateau de, you know, Saint Com is still there. You can you can look at that Breville Ridge yeah. road and see where nine para twelve para was. It's just a bypass. It's just a bypass through yeah. the bottom of the Bois de Bavon, isn't it? But, but but the rest of it is, is pretty much the same. You know, Troan looks the same. You know, all these places and yeah. and um, Rubom yeah. and all the rest of it. Bure. Um, it's it's yeah. it's a fantastic place and it's a really good place to visit. Actually, we're doing this we're doing this, this trip to Normandy and very end of March, beginning of April. Yeah. And actually, but that that's that's on the list. We're heading up there, which is good. brilliant. Anyway, well, okay. Well, I think that's. That'll do us for today, won't it, Jim? Yeah, I think so. That's a big range. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure who we've got on on Thursday. Who have we got on Thursday? Do you know? Uh, I can't remember. Maybe it's Rana. Who knows? Someone brilliant and fascinating. Someone brilliant that, that, That's who it'll be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see you all soon. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Cheerio. Cheerio.